You're listening to The Bob Sadak Show, a full hour of libertarian discussion with the smartest guests on radio. Live, spontaneous, and thoughtful. It's the show of ideas, not attitude. Now, your host, Bob Zadek. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Bob Zadek Show, the longest-running live libertarian talk radio show on all of radio. Well, um, we all entertain ourselves by watching, by uh, bulking up on all the streaming television, great content out there, all of this drama on Netflix and HBO and the like. Well, this past week and next week, we have been exposed to, dare I say, subjected to the mother of all live streaming, and that is the impede the trial, the so-called trial uh, of Donald J. Trump, uh, the impeachment trial in the Senate, which follows the impeachment indictment, if you will, in the House. And if America uses this experience the right way, America will be given and has been given a master's level course in the operation of American-style democracy. With all of its unpleasantness, with all of its oughts, warts, and with all of its strength. And there is so much going on, and regretfully, with uh, some notable exceptions, one of which you will enjoy in about 10 seconds, with only a few notable exceptions, the discourse, the discussion uh, in the media, in the print media, in video, on live television, the discussion has been, in my opinion, on the surface, vacuous, obviously highly uh, unobjective, depending upon whether you're on the blue team or the red team. And it is my hope with my guest this morning, a name you will all know, we will drill down and really have you understand really what is going on, what are the lessons, good and bad, of our system, our constitutional system, when it comes to impeachment. Do we have a system that actually works and accomplishes its desired goal, or is it simply being misused? And do we wish we had a system more like the parliamentary system where firing the prime minister is low drama, somewhat boring, and not momentous? With that introduction, I'm delighted, I'm proud, I'm thrilled to uh, welcome to the show this morning John Rothman. Uh, John is a radio talk show host on KGO, 810 AM in San Francisco. He has, to use understatement, a national, at least, following. He is, far and away, the most popular talk show host in the Bay Area, perhaps in the country, certainly the most informed. He brings to his profession of being a talk show host, a lifetime of experience and authorship on American politics and on American history. Uh, John is a uh, has been a mentor of mine. Um, I hang on every word that he says, and I am thrilled to get John's opinion on what is going on in Washington today, what is likely to go on in the future, and what, most importantly, what are the lessons which, if we use the impeachment experience right, what are the lessons we can learn from impeachment? So, John, welcome to the show this morning. Bob, thank you. and I love those modest introductions. Uh, I know you do, John. Well, um, I have, your, your wife and friends have told me that uh, you have such a poor self-image that anything I can do in my own subtle way to add a little support to that, I'm happy to do. So um, I'm delighted to do it, and I hope you use it uh, to grow in your uh, own self-image. Now, John, on the subject of impeachment, the issue as the American public sees it is 
whether Donald J. Trump has committed bribery, treason, or other high crimes or misdemeanors such that he should be convicted, if that's the right verb, in the Senate of having violated those standards and should be thrown out of office. And what's going on in the Senate is labeled as a trial. It's labeled that way from the Constitution, and that's how the American public sees it. My first question, John, on this trial is, is it a trial? Everything you and I know and appreciate about trials, none of it applies to the process in the Senate. So comment, if you will, on whether what is going on in the Senate is analogous at all to a trial, or is it, as I tend to think, is it nothing other than the Senate debating and voting on what, in my view, is nothing other than highly specialized legislation? Well, let me answer you, first of all, by saying it is not a trial in the traditional sense. Uh, what we have now is not a legal process. We have a political process. The senators took an oath and signed a register affirming that uh, they would be uh, open-minded, that they would uh, not be partial, that they would uh, take a look at the evidence. And that's not what's happening. What you have is a highly partisan situation. The Democrats are already committed to the removal of the president. The Republicans are already remo uh, committed to the uh, maintenance of the president in office. And what I really think is interesting is that facts, witnesses, evidence, really doesn't matter. The, the positions are fixed. Somebody asked me, Bob, whether or not... Uh, uh, Mitch McConnell should disqualify himself, or Lindsey Graham should disqualify themselves. Well, the same thing applies to a Chuck Schumer or Dick Durbin. Uh, they've already predetermined. And so, to answer your question directly, it is not a trial in the traditional sense. Now, what's interesting is, the, you're quite right, the oath, which was written by this under the rules of the Senate, it's not in the Constitution, but the senators take an oath of impartiality. Impartial justice. Utterly, impartial justice. That's right. Impartial justice. How, how that has such built-in hypocrisy because everybody there is there because they are elected. The president is elected. There is a political process that created the institutions. It's all political. And how in, how in the world can anybody be expected to be, let alone a hundred senators, quote, impartial with okay, let me, everything let me about the process. You know, you know that I work for Richard Nixon. And I want you to understand that uh, the Nixon impeachment never took place because, in the end, the Republicans made the decision. Barry Goldwater, John Rhodes, and Hugh Scott went down to the White House on August 7, 1974 and essentially told the president he did not have the votes to survive. The legal issue of whether the president, in fact, had committed a high crime or misdemeanor was not debated. The president turned to Barry Goldwater, and he said, Barry, how many votes do I have in the Senate? And uh, Barry Goldwater, by the way, told me this story himself. And uh, Goldwater said to me that I responded to the president, you have six votes at most, and I am not one of them. So in the end, Richard Nixon resigned, because he knew, as he put it in the David Frost interviews, that he had impeached himself. Nixon could not survive because the political support that he had, the Republicans, collapsed completely. And so what we learn is, and it's an important point quickly, that whether it's the impeachment of Andrew Johnson, the impeachment which theoretically would have taken place with Richard Nixon or Bill Clinton or now Donald Trump. These are political proceedings. And let me remind Bob, let me remind you and all of our listeners that no president of the United States facing trial in the United States Senate has been convicted and removed from office. And then the interesting question is, and so Trump will be the first if it goes the route. We, we still don't, it probably will, we still don't know. But what, what's, what's so interesting to me is 
now the issue is this really unfortunate word in the Constitution of crime. And there is so much misunderstanding on the core issue. Is it essential? Is it important as to whether Trump committed a crime that no. has violated no. federal or state criminal code? No. And the answer is, is of not. course not. Gerald Ford not. Uh, summed it up. He was the uh, House Minority Leader and talked about uh, an impeachment of Justice William O. Douglas. And uh, Jerry Ford was asked a simple question, what is impeachment? And he said, it's whatever the House of Representatives says it is. And I think that's the key. Uh, Bob, you can impeach someone if you have the votes. Uh, and you can convict someone in the Senate if you have the votes, regardless of the merits. And the best example of that is Andrew Johnson. Uh, the charges against him were fundamentally based on something called the Tenure of Office Act, which was passed by Congress in order to to get him. And in the end, uh, Andrew Johnson was saved by one vote, the vote of Edmund Ross of Kansas. And you can read about it in John F. Kennedy's Profiles and Courage. The important thing is that it is political in every sense of the word. So when you ask me, is, is uh, a crime necessary? The answer is no. Ask me whether or not I believe that Donald Trump uh, abused his power, uh, showed contempt uh, of uh, Congress. Uh, the answer is yes. But it only becomes a crime and a removable from office crime if the senators vote that way. And the argument that Alan Dershowitz will make uh, tomorrow uh, in the uh, United States Senate is that, w and by the way, let me be clear, Alan does not say whether or not he considers the uh, action of the president a crime. He simply says it does not rise to the level for which he should be removed from office. And those of you who listen to me on KGO know I have said from the very beginning that the Republicans would make the argument that it did not rise to the level. And let me give you the precedent for that, and that's Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton obstructed justice and committed perjury. Uh, and we all know the Lewinsky case. But the bottom line was, even though he did something terribly egregious, the Democrats argued it did not rise to the level for which he should be removed from office. And that is what the Republicans are saying. Please note that the defense of the president yesterday they never denied his actions. They never said he didn't do it. What they're going to argue is that it doesn't rise to the level for which he should be removed from office. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up on the phrase you've used twice in your last comment, rise to the level. And I, my observation is that uh, impeachment uh, well, I, I will make my observation in the form of a hypothetical. Is in, should a president who is generally, and I'll use a phrase just ask you to assume the fact, assuming a president is a generally a good president, Bill Clinton is an example of a, in general, a good president, even though I didn't agree with a lot of what he did. By the standards of what makes a good president, he was a good president. Now, and Clinton did commit a crime. Should impeachment, as a matter of good government, should impeachment be used to get rid of a good president who did, in fact, do an impeachable act and hold that answer aside? Should impeachment be used to get rid of a bad president who marginally may or may not have committed an impeachable offense. Putting it more directly, is impeachment, is the valid purpose of impeachment to simply correct a voting error and get rid of a bad president, or is it event-specific? A good president does one bad act, one transgression, one impeachable offense, then it is the duty of the Senate to kick him out. You know, you it's a great formulation. Uh, I worked for Richard Nixon, uh, and I can tell you that in many ways Richard Nixon was an exemplary president in terms of foreign policy, certain aspects of domestic policy. I, I won't enumerate all the things he did positively, but what Richard Nixon did 
was to break trust. He didn't tell the truth. He got caught in a lie. And what did Republicans in Congress do? They didn't condemn his presidency. They condemned the action that he took. And I want to point something out that most people don't realize, Bob. Richard Nixon did not order the Watergate break-in. Richard Nixon's crime was the cover-up. The cover-up is what caught Richard Nixon. And had Nixon remained silent, had he not embarked on a cover-up, he would not have been removed from office. And may I also make the observation? Exactly right. It is not, and this is really important to people, for me anyway, I don't agree with Donald Trump on his politics, on many levels. But that is not a reason to remove Donald Trump from office. Uh, And so that becomes the next issue. And that's what I think Alan Dershowitz will argue tomorrow. Now, you are one of the best and most interesting observers of the political process, both because of your thought process and your life experience and your studies. And uh, I think, I believe that the British, the parliamentary system of a vote of no confidence, a low drama event, is simply, okay, you blew it. We need somebody else. That system is so politically healthy. And our system is so politically unhealthy that we are, in effect, we are struggling. We as a country struggle sometimes to use the impeachment process as a vote of no confidence. And You're correct. The Democrats have, in my opinion, putting aside specifics of this specific trial in the Senate, but when the Democrats from the moment they entered uh, office in this last term, they set upon getting rid of the president. They therefore destroyed a lot of their high ground since they were an impeachment in search of a reason rather than going along, doing their job until they got lucky with the phone call. In his interview with David Frost, Richard Nixon said about his enemies, I gave them the sword, and they thrust it into me and twisted it. That's what happened with Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump was in a position to have Republicans' support on a whole host of issues, and even, to a degree, some Democrats. But what he did, and what he continues to do, is to say, you can't touch me, and I don't give a toot what you think. And when the president says he's innocent, well, it depends on how you perceive it. If you listen carefully to the president's own words, and you listen to the arguments made by the Democrats, history is going to judge Donald Trump harshly. He put this country through this, by his own arrogance, and I have to tell you, his own lack of understanding of history. And that may be the ultimate tragedy of Donald Trump. If the issues were argued just on the basis of his policies, oh, that would be entirely appropriate. But you're correct, Bob, when you say this is not that. One other observation. Uh, when Harry Truman became president, and there were real questions about whether he had any popular mandate. J.W. Fulbright, Senator Fulbright, proposed that we revert to a parliamentary system. And there was a debate in 1946, uh, particularly after the 46 election, which was a repudiation of Truman, whether Fulbright was right or not. Well, the answer is, we are not a parliamentary system. We are not going to become a parliamentary system. And there is one other element, and that has to do with the notion of censure. One president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, was censured by a Senate controlled by the Whigs. He was a Democrat. That censure resolution was expunged as soon as the Democrats took over the United States Senate. So he was censured, which had absolutely no consequence. And there are people who suggest 
that what should happen now is that after the trial, there should be a censure resolution introduced uh, in the United States Senate. I don't think that will happen, and I would point out to people that censure really is is not an effective means or tool. The censure is not, of course, is not. No, the country is too cynical to take that censure motion, which has no teeth to it. It's just a scolding. Uh, in when the country is so divided, that scold, and it's not by the House or the Senate. It's by the other party, and in the Senate, of course, it's the president's party. So a censure would have some significance, uh, and it might affect the outcome. Yeah, Republicans aren't going to vote for a censure. They could get the four senators uh, who are in question, uh, Lamar Alexander, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, uh, Senator, uh, uh, I'm trying to think now, uh, Collins, Senator Collins, of course, and and one other. Uh, they might get them to vote for a censure resolution, but essentially it would have no impact at all. And I don't think they're going to go that route. Uh, nor do I think, by the way, that there will be four Republicans who will vote to hear uh, testimony. And, and let me be clear about this. I believe testimony is important, and I believe it would be good to have testimony. I'd like to hear Mick Mulvaney. I'd like to hear Mike Pompeo. Uh, I'd like to hear uh, the people closest to the president uh, stand up and say uh, he didn't do this. But the simple truth is the president did what he is accused of doing. He did. And so the burden on this falls to the question, which seems to have been answered by the Republicans, that yes, he did it, but it does not rise to the level for which he should be removed from office. And in the end, Bob, it is the American people who on November 3rd, 2020, will give the ultimate judgment on this president. As we go to break, um, you said the question is, is or you pointed out, there's no dispute on the facts. And of course, you're right. There is no dispute. But the dispute is, as to the phone call, um, the issue is, what was the president's reason? So this is like a hate crime when when we have, which I abhor, when we have federal and state hate crime laws, we try to examine into why somebody committed uh, murder or, or mayhem or other physical injury or robbery. If they did it for the wrong reason, then their punishment is going to be enhanced. If all they were were hungry or greedy, well, then they only get put away for a lesser term. I, I, I hate that process, and I hate hate crimes, no pun, but what we have is a, and it's, this is not a criminal trial, but nevertheless, the issue which could, not will, but could decide the outcome, is not what the president did, because as John pointed out, the, um, we all know what he did, we know what he said, the issue is why he said it. When we come back from break, I will try to take the opposite position, that it doesn't matter why he did what he did. Whether and he if did you it do, for I will argue purpose. with you. I can't wait. Uh, so now you have it. The, the scene is set. We're going to go to a really short 30-second break, and then the, the gladiators enter the ring, and we will decide whether it, quote, matters as to why Donald Trump, Trump, may have done what is, in my analogy, a political hate crime. That is something where the reason you do something uh, indicts you. We'll be back in 30 short seconds. If you are like me, I bet you can't wait. I'm Bob Zadig, broadcasting here every Sunday morning at 8. Remember the free speech movement? Started in Berkeley in the 60s. At Berkeley today, students protest against free speech and picket when a controversial, usually conservative speaker is scheduled. At other top universities, professors are terrified of their students. The free exchange of all ideas has disappeared. My new book, The Bubble, explores how higher education became America's most overrated product. 
Students spend four critical years of their lives in an expensive bubble of indoctrination, and they're creating a second bubble in the process. Luckily, a small, dedicated minority is fighting back against repressive campus speech codes and disinvitation campaigns. Learn how universities have created a bubble within a bubble, a trillion-dollar financial bubble in student loan debt propped up by a bubble that protects from offensive speech. Now some are even suggesting student loan forgiveness. It's time to burst the bubble. Book now available at bobzadek.com. Welcome back to the Bob Davis Show, the longest-running live libertarian talk radio show in all of radio. We are here every Sunday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Thank you so much for listening. This morning, I am, to use an enormous understatement, delighted, proud to welcome to my show, John Rothman. Uh, John is uh, the leading radio talk show host in the Bay Area, if not in the country. He has an enormous following, as he deserves. He broadcasts uh, on KGO Radio, 810 AM in the Bay Area, and streamed as well. John is a published author with many best-selling books, often on the subject of American history and politics, and he has had a rich political past as well, serving in the Nixon and other administrations. So John's observations and his thoughts in this discussion of impeachment count for a lot more than most other people's, because as I often say on my show, what people think is to me marginally interesting. Why you think it is fascinating. And uh, I love to understand why of how a thoughtful person reaches the conclusions they have, because I always learn, not from their opinion, but from how they got there. So John, before the break, we were talking about how much it matters as to what the testimony would disclose. And I said, and you were uh, licking your radio chops, you couldn't wait. As I said, I don't think it matters all that much. And let me tee up the issue. My, this part of the conversation is going to have two components. Number one, uh, although everybody uses the somewhat loose analogy that what is going on in the Senate is a trial. And my first question, John, which we can spend just a few seconds on, is, okay, since we are using the uh, judicial system for our analogy, is what's going on in the Senate more analogous to a trial or an appeal? More specifically, is what happened in the House something akin to an indictment like a grand jury process where the prosecutor, the Speaker of the House, if you will, the, or the head of the Judiciary Committee, the prosecutor presents the case to a grand jury. The grand jury says, we don't know if a crime was committed, but there's enough to let a jury decide, and they send it out to be tried. Is what happened in the House the indictment or is what happened in the House the trial? And this is an appeal, which means in an appeal, you don't take witnesses. You just decide if the trial was proper. What's the better analogy as to what's going on in the Senate? Well, you know, first of all, the way you frame it is absolutely right on, 100%. Uh, one of the reasons Alan Dershowitz is involved is because he doesn't try cases. He is an appellate lawyer. And I think one of the reasons why the president wanted Alan Dershowitz on the team is for that very reason. Theoretically, theoretically, the House of Representatives acts as a grand jury. They put together the indictment, they come to a conclusion, and then they forward it to the United States Senate. The United States Senate then conducts a trial. And theoretically, in a trial, you're a lawyer, Bob, you know this, you have witnesses and you have evidence. And that's what makes this not a trial, because the Republicans have determined they don't want witnesses, they don't want documentary evidence, uh, documented evidence, to be uh, conveyed to them. They say, you built your case, that's all we care about, we're not going to allow new evidence. Now, <clears throat> I watched Perry Mason for many years, <laughs> 
I loved it. I loved it. And the one thing I learned is, at the last minute, when everything seems predetermined, all of a sudden, you hear something new that changes the whole course of the trial. That is not going to happen in the Senate trial. This is not Perry Mason. This is American politics playing out. And there are some who would suggest uh, that impeachment doesn't work. There's a wonderful book by uh, a gentleman named Leibowitz, who I interviewed on my program, uh, who is in Washington, D.C., in which he says impeachment as a process fails because it's not a trial, not really. It's a political action. And I think that is the key. Now, the second reason, the second um, part of the discussion uh, on how much matters as to what Donald Trump's motivation was, uh, John, I'd like to present a hypothetical to you, mm-hmm. um, uh, only because I would love to hear um, your mind operating on this hypothetical, and more importantly, as you think out loud, the audience however you respond, will benefit from the process. My hypothetical is, and Trump's, uh, a substantial portion of Trump's defense of his uh, conversation with Zelensky, the reason it was the perfect call, hmm, perfect is a low bar, but okay, a perfect call. He said, I was trying to ferret out corruption in the Ukraine. Now, I can hear the eyes rolling in the audience and all that. Okay, putting that aside, my hypothetical is this. Let us, uh, and, and the argument against Trump is he was soliciting the aid of a foreign government to out a political opponent. That's sort of a summary of, of what, what he did wrong in the eyes of those people who think it was impeachable, focusing on that act. My question Uh, John, uh, only to hear the process of you reaching your conclusion. Let us assume the following hypothetical, not didn't happen, hypothetical. Donald Trump believes, rightly or wrongly, or is told by his advisors that Joe Biden was sharing state secrets with Ukraine. I mean, as, as crass as it can be, state secrets, treason, punishable by death. And Donald Trump is likely to be running against Joe Biden. And Trump says out loud to anybody within earshot, wow, I got to, I got to find out the bottom, get to the bottom of this because he's a possible traitor and I get to get rid of a political opponent. How lucky am I? He says that, and off he goes. Has Trump committed an impeachable offense? My answer is, the minute you mentioned Joe Biden's name, you opened that door, which we will see expressed by the president's defenders. They are going to go after Joe Biden on grounds of corruption. So let's, let's really be careful. Joe Biden is not about to be impeached or convicted by the Senate. Joe Biden is not on trial. What is on trial, and you said it, I think, quite well, is that the President of the United States asked the leader of a foreign nation to investigate a potential political opponent. And the President did that while at the same time holding up aid appropriated by Congress. Now, I think those facts are indisputable. And now I will offer you what I really believe. This is a political process. If Barack Obama had done that, the Republicans would have called for his immediately being removed from office. Well, of course. Because it is a political process, the lines are not drawn based on fact, on whether or not the president did something wrong. What is clear is that the Republicans are saying, and by the way, the Democrats did the same thing with Bill Clinton during the Lewinsky scandal. Yes, he did it, but it doesn't matter. Which goes back to the very first point, Bob, which is that uh, 
impeachment by the House and a trial in the Senate is a political, not a legal issue. Except, except for one thing. Here, it, it is important to many Americans, and certainly to the political class and to the fourth estate, the media, it is important to many of them as to what the motive was that soliciting the aid of a foreign government to help us ferret out a spy is not only neutral, Trump darn well had better have done that, assuming Biden wasn't running for office. Uh, you know what, possible competitive? if the president felt that there was something that Biden did, what the president should have done is gone to the attorney general and had an investigation initiated by the Justice Department, which is the normal process, for a president of the United States to invite the president of a foreign nation who is dependent completely on us to dig up dirt on a political opponent is unconscionable. And let me point out, the president broke the law when he held up the aid in a quid pro quo. And don't listen to John Rothman. Listen to Mick Mulvaney, who, standing in the briefing room at the White House, said, of course it was a quid pro quo. Get over it. Now, why is it that the Republicans don't want Mick Mulvaney to give testimony? Because if he said that, it would blow the lid off their defense. And if John Bolton testifies, and God knows what John Bolton would say, again, it opens up a can of worms. The Republicans want this behind them. And the Republicans made an argument yesterday that was fascinating. Let the American people decide on November 3rd, 2020. So I'm going to stick my neck way out, Bob, and tell you this. I believe this trial will be over within a week. I believe the president will be acquitted on a party-line vote, more or less, 53 to 47. There might be a couple of uh, Democrats who vote to defend him who are in tough re-election battles because this is a political issue. In the end, what the Democrats are doing is building a case which they can present to the American people. Now, listen carefully. The latest polls show that 53% of Americans believe the president should be removed from office. That's stunning. But I want to point out to you that if that's true, no American president running in a head-to-head -head contest has been able to win election without having the support of the American people. And if 53% of the American people believe he did something wrong, he'll lose the election. He'll lose the election. And so what Donald Trump has to do now is shore up his base, which is what he did when he spoke at the March for Life. He wants the evangelicals with him. He's doing the same thing, and he will on Tuesday when he announces his Middle East peace plan, which the Palestinians and the Arabs will reject, but the Israelis will embrace, because the president is now trying to play a political game of shoring up his base. What about Joe Biden? Joe Biden will, well, certainly be a major contender. He may well be the Democratic nominee. If he is, this will put the president's contentions about Joe Biden front and center. Uh, so, uh, I, I can only tell you, when I began by saying this is not a legal process, it is a political process, that is precisely what this is. And the stakes are high, the presidency of the United States. Exactly right. And one comment, by the way, uh, you, you mentioned the withholding of aid. I want to focus on the verb withholding um, and not belabor it. It's a small use point the term in today's impoundment. discussion. You can, if you want to use the, the technical term, it is impoundment. Go ahead. I, I, but, but, but the point is this. Not enough, in my opinion, has been said about the following issue. The president uh, 
money was appropriated by Congress, the president has a duty. The power of the purse is one of the most powerful and most sacred um, tools that Congress has in the uh, separation of powers. It is very important and always has been and should be. When the president crosses a line and assumes the power of the purse in any way, he has crossed a line for which he should be soundly criticized in some form or another. However, his duty to spend the money, unless otherwise set forth in a statute, is he must spend the money before the end of the fiscal year. When Congress appropriates money on a Monday and the president doesn't spend it until Wednesday, the president doesn't get impeached. He hasn't spent it yet. And maybe he withholds it using timing. Maybe he withholds it for a reason, maybe a good reason, maybe a crummy reason, but a reason. But so long as he spends the money, the end before the end of the fiscal year, he hasn't upset the balance of powers. Not in and this all case. he did not in this case, Bob. And I want to explain Bob, why. Okay. The GAO issued Help. a statement saying the president broke the law. That's a nonpartisan branch of, of of government. But I want to be crystal clear on this. Once the whistleblower report became public, the funds were released. And I say this so everyone understands, this was a political action by a president who held up funds to try to get a favor from Ukraine. Once the action was exposed, the money was released. And what's interesting is, None of the people who would be called in a trial are Democrats. All the people who would be called in the trial are Donald Trump appointees to jobs in his administration. If I were the President of the United States and I had nothing to hide, I would say, go ahead and testify, because what you're going to affirm is my position, which is I did nothing wrong. But that is not what the president and his attorneys are doing. And that, I think, is the flaw in this question. Because if you are innocent, you should have nothing to hide. I have, have one uh, governmental question, and I want to end our discussion with a political question that I was so impatient within myself to ask you, I couldn't wait. So the <laughs> governmental question, uh, the, the, the civics question is in a criminal trial, it is the people versus. It is, there is the government side and the, and the defendant side. In the Senate, we have those who want the president impeached and those who oppose the, the conviction. Conviction. Impeachment. So he's been impeached. Conviction. Just okay, I'll use conviction. conviction. Now, a, a quick question, quick answer. In that, in that process, throw him out versus keep him in, which side represents the government? <laughs> How's that? Now, uh, and it, um, as a quick question, quick answer, then I'm going to get to my political question. Neither what do you side think? Who's is the, the who's government. The people? Yeah, neither side is the government, Bob. Uh, that's the whole point. You're putting it in legal terms. This is a political question. So what you basically have are lines drawn along political lines. The Democrats say he's guilty. The Republicans say he's innocent. And that's it. So therefore, neither side is neither party. I hate to even make reference to parties, although, as John has pointed out repeatedly and appropriately, this is a purely political process. But uh, neither side has the high ground. Neither Correct. side is more patriotic than the other. There's no such thing as the patriotic side. Now, no, you're, you're absolutely right. This is a political battle, which, if present trends continue, uh, will be decided on November 3rd by the American people. Wonderful way. That's exactly a perfect segue. And, John, 
tell the audience I didn't put you up to it. Here's my political question. No, we think you know. such Bob and I did not talk in advance. This is purely spontaneous <laughs> in terms of conversation. Here's the astute political question. Stakes are high. Presidential election is coming up. That may, depending on coattails, it may control the Senate as well. Um, the House is probably not going to change, but who knows? My political question, given all that has happened, starting with the whistleblower, did the, and maybe you'll, and I'm asking for an opinion before the fat lady has sung. Um, in your opinion, as of this second, would the Democrats, if the goal is the White House and perhaps the Senate, have done better by using all that has come out as a tool in the election, or did they blow it, if they did blow it, by using it as an impeachment tool rather than as a weapon in the election, which is right around the corner? Brilliant question. And Nancy Pelosi gave us the answer. She did not want to have this president impeached by the House. She did not want a trial in the Senate. She wanted everything decided November 3rd. What the president did was to give the Democrats the sword, the Ukraine situation, the conversation. And they thrust it into him, which is precisely the point, Bob. Nancy Pelosi's political judgment initially was absolutely correct, but events overcame what she could handle. The president did it to himself, and, you know, that's the great tragedy of uh, this moment. The wonderful thing about opinions is you're you allowed to express any opinion you want, and it can't be wrong. Will Don't say that. Don't tell, tell my wife that, Bob. <laughs> will history tell us will history tell us that that was a monumental political blunder that it's using it what happened as impeachment was it a monumental do you think political blunder or was it really high level skillful and correct politics i'm asking you a purely political tactical the blunder question. was donald trump's the response was not a blunder by the Democrats. It was a necessary action. And, Bob, you and I will make a date uh, two years from now, even a year from now, and we will know whether or not this president played his cards properly or whether or not he was fully vindicated. All of that will be resolved, if not by a vote in the next week in the United States Senate, it will be resolved by the American people. And let me tell you, there's enough blame in all of this to go around for everyone. The ultimate tragedy is that we have had to go through this. And uh, frankly, uh, I felt the same way about Watergate. Uh, if Nixon had not taken actions that he took to cover up, we never would have gone through that agony. And to be honest with you, if Donald Trump had not had that conversation and not held up that aid, we wouldn't be having this conversation. In the end, I have a hope. And the hope is that this will be good for American democracy, that this issue will be debated as you and I are talking about it now in the days and years ahead by students of politics, by uh, students in high school and junior high school, middle school, so they can understand better uh, the process with all of its imperfections and its pros and cons. Did the founders, do you think, because you are a, a, an astute historian, you know how to teach us the lessons from the past. Did the founders intend that impeachment be as rare and unusual as it has become, uh, only been in the, uttered about three times in American history? Or did the founders intend that impeachment be somewhat more commonplace and be invoked a lot to keep the president on his or her toes? Well, you, you make I'll ask, uh, should should yeah, the you, you make a presumption that I want to answer? Remember right. that there have been fifteen impeachments 
in the Senate. They haven't had to do with presidents primarily, but with judges. Impeachment was a process by which the view was that you could correct the imperfections. Your correct premise is it is used rarely and only when uh, there is really no alternative. And let me remind you, Judge Hasty, who was impeached and removed from office, is now a sitting member of Congress. That's correct, from Florida. And, um, <laughs> and the first... Judge to be the first judge to be impeached was impeached because he was uh, he was abusive to, to litigants and a drunkard and was just a loser and he did nothing wrong. They just said he's a terrible judge. Get rid of the son of a gun and they That's kicked right. him out and that was perfectly appropriate in eighteen oh three eighteen oh four. So and, and remember Samuel Chase, uh, justice of the Supreme Court. In 1805, went through the impeachment process. Aaron Burr presided at his trial. The whole thing was political. Uh, Andrew, uh, rather, uh, Thomas Jefferson wanted him removed from office, and uh, that was the whole issue. So, uh, and he wasn't, by the way. So, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's all fascinating. We're running out of time. Quick question, quick answer. Should impeachment be easy? Uh, or hard the way it has been in our history of the president? Hard. Should it be easier? No. But I'll tell you what I, I do agree. It should be. It should be fairer. That is to say, if a president really is guilty, it should be a nonpartisan effort. In a perfect world, Bob, uh, this president would be removed from office. But it's not a perfect world. It's a political world. And that, of course, is the world of Washington, D.C. To my friends out there, I ask you to ask yourselves, should a president be impeached because he's a crummy president but really did nothing overt? Or should he be impeached only if he did a clearly impeachable offense? What is better for our country? John, thank you so much. My hopes have been more than vindicated. This was a delightful hour, John. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your weekend time. On behalf of my listeners and my friends out there, we sure do appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Bob. Always a pleasure. And this is Bob Zadig saying so long for now, so long to my friends. I'll be back again next Sunday. Please enjoy the rest of the weekend.